tribes are uh, sovereign entities, you know, so they're not necessarily stakeholders or rights holders. So they have a right in terms of how their land is managed. And a, and a part of that, of course, is the resources, which is one being broadband. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, coming to you from the National Tribal Telecommunications Summit in Gila River. And I'm here now with two folks that uh, I've had a just wonderful chance to work with multiple times in the past uh, with an organization that, uh, that I love, um, that, uh, you know, usually we have Angela Seifer on to talk about the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. But today we have two other representatives who I'm very excited to get on the mic. We have Pamela Rosales, the Training and Community Engagement Manager at NDIA. Hi, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have quite a long title, so a training and community engagement specialist, but or manager. See, I even butchered it myself. Um, but yeah, Pamela, she, hers, and I'm based out in Chicago. When people say that, I'm always curious. Are you really in Chicago? Yes. Okay. I'm in Logan Square. You're not in Naperville? No, no, I'm not in Naperville, not okay. in Aurora. Yeah. I'm in Chicago, Chicago, Logan Square for those who know. <laughs> okay. One of the least populated counties in, in Minnesota is Cook County. And so every now and then I see something about Cook County and I'm like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's Chicago. Okay. <laughs> uh, we also have with us Davida Delmar, who is the digital inclusion manager at Amerind, but uh, works very tightly with National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Yes, exactly. I think 85% of my job is with NDIA, and that's a good 85%. <laughs> I love NDIA. They have so many cool resources to... Um, to help with folks in general in terms of navigating digital equity, inclusion, all that good stuff. And you work with Superstar Abby. Uh, you are co-superstars at our Tribal Broadband Boot Camps to bring a digital equity training to those events. Yes, um, Abby's the best friend. She's uh, my, I guess we're best friends in <laughs> in a professional sense. Um, we love traveling together and sharing different things as well as discussing how digital inclusion is adaptable to tribal communities. And it's great because um, I don't know. She brings her knowledge from, you know, working in North Carolina and um, which is, of course, non-native. Um, but then I also bring, you know, my insight into how tribal communities work and um, what's uh, important in terms of navigating that process of partnering with tribes. How is digital equity different across tribes, across rural, across urban? Is it largely similar or are there significant differences in terms of what people have to keep in mind if they're working on digital equity with different communities? NDI has been great in terms of noting that they are similar in three key areas, which of course is affordable broadband, um, appropriate devices, as well as digital skills training or literacy. Um, so I think those core um, elements are important in all those different areas. Um, how they differentiate in terms of geography or access and things like that plays a pivotal role in all of these because of course um, urban has the um, advantage of having um, resources near near them or accessible to them or coming to them because they are of course a, a major municipality. But then of course there's pockets of neighborhoods and things like that who um, unfortunately are part of this digital redlining uh, discrimination where that you know because they are 
low income or live on the wrong side of tracks or whatever that means um, they're not able to access whereas um, rural of course they have mountains and streams and you know um, natural scenic areas landscapes um, that might prohibit them from you know the cables coming to them or from having an, uh, a wireless signal things of that sort of course and of course tribes since they are predominantly rural um, they kind of have that similarity between rural um, and tribal where they're in a sense in the same geographic area and then of course it gets really complicated because um, tribes uh, tribal land can be checkerboarded so of course um, their neighbor could be on non-tribal land but then you could be on tribal land Um, and so with the wireless network why is my why is my neighbor getting um, connectivity and I'm not even though we're maybe like a mile away you know kind of thing mm-hmm. um, so I think you know there's similar similarities but then of course there's um, there's a there's the matter of jurisdiction and I think that's kind of the core of what I'm talking about between uh, tribal and rural yeah and and Pamela anything that jumps into your mind about it having done trainings with um, at St. Louis with the extension team there and DEET um, hearing about the the specific um, issues and barriers that um, rural towns are facing that are very much different than urban cities. So um, the main issue there is, um, of course, not having that broadband. That's a that's a big key difference there, as well as um, in urban cities. Yeah, you have more resources that are available, um, especially if you are in like a, if you're part of a minority group or have like that type of identity and in urban cities you have more of a chance of having a multilingual advocate that speaks your language Mm -hmm. to do those trainings you have more of a community in that way so a digital navigator might have that cultural competency with you versus if you are um, kind of more of in the minority population and living in a rural community Um, so things like that is the the key barriers or key differences it seems like a lot of digital navigator work and digital equity work takes place face to face. And that's just got to be a challenge right there in uh, more rural areas is just trying to get people together. Right. Having it, it's it's a much better situation to have it in person versus doing it remotely, which mm-hmm. that is possible. Um, but of course, with connectivity issues and it not being the a connection not being reliable, um, people often prefer to have things in person because then you get to answer those questions or the digital navigator gets to see the body language of that community member if they truly understand it or not. Um, that hesitancy that you can't really capture over the phone or on Zoom. Now, I'm curious, what what are things that are happening right now in the digital equity space? Because I, I feel like you know, people are really focused on big dollars moving in all kinds of ways, uh, deadlines. And at the same time, you know, it isn't that long ago that Salt Lake City was like one of the first digital navigators, right? And like doing this report about what worked and what didn't. I feel like we're seeing digital navigators pop up in a lot of places. But like, what are some of the latest things that are happening in the digital equity space? There's a lot of conversations, especially within our listserv, about how do we properly outreach? You know, how do we do that effective marketing and having these events so that we're actually connecting to the community members who need these services the most? Um, I think that's where a lot of people are focusing on right now, um, especially with the ACP outreach grants that came out. And if I could just pause there for a second. You said came out. I think they're just authorized. Oh, I'm right? sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah the, the yeah. NOFO hasn't released, but... Um, in terms of it just being like announced. something that's on yeah. the horizon exactly so now it's how do we prepare for that and how do we outreach efficiently and effectively 
Um, other things that we're hearing from our community is the, the digital navigator program of what is working, what isn't working, do we have resources out there that are in different languages, um, how do you you know, overcome these type of barriers. Um, and then also just because of the fact that there's so much funding that's coming in, there's a lot of people who are just reaching out because they just found out about NDIA or just found out about digital right. equity uh, or they just started a job and they don't have any idea, which I can fully relate because that was kind of me coming fully, fully new into this situation. But thankfully, you know, coming with NDIA, I don't I have all of these resources. So a lot of it, too, is just people starting at these new jobs and places of where do I start? And I feel like it's a good point to ask should people have something on their calendar for next year? Something where they might be able to meet a lot of inspiring people and yeah, something happening in San Antonio. Oh, yes, the Riverwalk. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, NDAA, we our national conference net inclusion. It's happening at the end of February. I believe it's February 28th through March 3rd. It's going to be in San Antonio and it's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of panels and workshops from experts all over the country to share what like in terms of policy, digital navigators, um, digital skills. I'll be doing another welcome to D digital inclusion 101, you know, for all the newbies out there. Um, so it's kind of kind of covering all different levels of knowledge when it comes to digital equity. So we have that. The first week of October is actually Digital Inclusion Week. So there's a lot of stuff happening very soon um, throughout the country. We've actually surpassed our goal of registering over 102 events. So that's really exciting. Um, essentially, Digital Inclusion Week is where um, we have organizations throughout the country doing digital inclusion events. That's excellent. One of the big announcements that came out recently is about the uh, the digital navigators that are going to tribes. I, I think that's just part of a larger effort, right? Um, but uh, let's just talk talk first about the tribes. Um, we have um, in in part because of a Google grant that I think we've talked about on past shows. Um, we have um, the NDIA has this really wonderful capacity for a multi-year program to help see digital navigators around the country. So, uh, what's happening in Indian country first? Uh, so we're so excited about it because we have um, a lot of tribes who were excited about this opportunity, had already been doing this um, this type of work for years, and then of course now of course have the funding to hire someone. Which I think in tri in tribal communities, um, a lot of things that um, prohibit them from you know having quality service and things like that is the f fact that they can't hire anybody. And we heard that a lot from tribal ISPs. And of course, um, what the trend we see is that, you know, libraries and other community anchoring institutions aren't the ones who are doing digital navigate navigation. It's actually tribal ISPs um, because they're the ones who are installing broadband into homes. And when the internet is down, of course, who do you call? You call the person who installed it, which is probably your local community member. And so the... Uh, the tribes who were awarded were so excited to have them as, as the Alaska Federation of Natives in Alaska. So we're so excited to have them out there. Uh, Cayuse Native Solutions in Oregon, um, who's owned by the Umatilla tribe. And Gila River Broadcast Corporation, which is Digital Connect here in Arizona, um, who's actually hosting the broadband summit that we're at. The Hoopa Valley Public Utilities District in California. Yay! <laughs> Hoopa um, Valley, Isla's our favorite. <laughs> and then uh, Lummi Indian Business Council in Washington, which I'm so excited about. I've worked with them in the past, and they're just awesome. 
Pueblo of Jemez in New Mexico, um, which is great. Cherokee Nation, um, and it's so great because all of them are here, and I was able to meet with a lot of them. Actually, not all of them are here, but the most of them are here, which is awesome, so we're already creating that network. Um, but we also have tribal-serving folks, so these are people who are um, interested in partnering with tribes, um, making that connection and partnership. Those folks are Forest County Broadband in Wisconsin, um, the National Digital Equity Center in Maine, and uh, the Washington State University in Washington. So um, all excited about all of them because of course what we're talking about in terms of digital equity and bead funding and things like that we see a push from states to partner with tribal nations and they're you know they're ahead of the game in a sense these tribal um, tribal serving grantees that we picked and I feel like it's particularly exciting because uh, originally I think there was a aim to have four am I remembering that correctly and then you ended up having more Yes, exactly. Actually, the goal was six. Okay. Um, and then they hired me, and I did such a good job. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, we just saw a lot of people interested in it, telling their friends, you know, you know, Indian country is small, so of course we got a lot of people who are interested, applied, and um, hopefully those folks who, you know, didn't get selected, hopefully there may be there's other ways they can find funding to bring a digital navigator to their community. Yes, I, I would imagine that uh, uh, one of the things that we hope to see is with the Digital Equity Act money available that we'll see others that might be um, states using this money in similar ways potentially. And then um, I'm sure that you would welcome them into the, the network uh, to share strategies and things like that. NDIA, we have a community job board and I help manage it so I approve and we're seeing a lot of digital navigator positions come in that aren't from these 18 grantees. So exactly what you're talking about. It's a thing. It is a thing. (laughs) It is manifesting. Those applications are coming out. People are looking to hire a digital navigator um, and hopefully, you know, use our model. So uh, Pamela, let's talk about your email. Is there something you've received in the in recent like days or weeks where you were just kind of like, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. I'm I'm excited about that happening. (laughs) Because usually I get in my email and I'm just like, oh, that's cool, but I don't have time to deal with it. I'm just so tired. NDAA, we're actually working on um, providing workshops like in person to states with the Federal Reserve Bank. Like so, Massachusetts. Yes. Where like you have Massachusetts. a really good partner, Deanne. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and also um, we did one last week, I believe, or the week before um, at, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um and the, I will be going to the one in New York. So I've kind of been focused on that. Mm-hmm. What happens there? So um, we are actually working on coming out with a state toolkit uh, to help states, you know, f- figure out what to do with this money. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're telling states what to do, but what are those best practices? Um, and then also helping them with the resources that are out there, um, the tools that we have with NDIA, so like asset mapping, things like that. Um, and then I will be there to do a digital inclusion 101. Um, and that, that's part of all of the training. So it's just kind of getting those folks antiquated with what digital equity is and um, the resources that are available for them so that they know how to use this money wisely. Because this, this, is, this is it. <laughs> the people who are coming in to do this work on digital equity, I'm wondering where are they coming from, right? Because like when I look at infrastructure side, it's like there's thousands of people working for ISPs or telecom, you know, like there's a whole industry of people that have been doing broadband work and we need a lot more and we don't have as many in policy, but there's still like a lot of people who've been working in an industry, right? 
digital equity is like, I feel like we've seen a lot of people from libra libraries and, you know, groups that were doing this work, like, like uh, nonprofit groups locally. But are there other, other places where we see people like moving into this industry? So yes, yes to tr uh, libraries, yes to social service work, um, uh, social services, nonprofits, because they're the ones that are working with those clients, um, helping them with those federal, uh, getting those federal programs and those benefits. Um, and that's kind of how I came into this work because there's actually a name for what my clients were experiencing. And so I kind of am able to come to it with that lens. Mm -hmm. Those are like the main ones that I think about. Mm -hmm. And what about an Indian country? I mean, do we see sort of similar people coming out of those other spaces or, um, you know, where are people coming from to do this work, do you think? Yes, tribal ISPs. Um, uh, we see interest in libraries, um, but then uh, tribal libraries can be maybe understaffed already, you know, or, or have priorities in other areas, or may not be central to like the community um, or what ha whatever it may be. Um, but I even uh, we're hearing from different um, communities. Of course, every community is different. But um, from one community, I heard that um, they got into broadband through the missing, murdered Indigenous women. Um, initiative in terms of um, creating more safety in their community and what they found was this was pre-pandemic they wanted to um, um, increase their uh, cell phone towers you know um, to increase connectivity so that people can um, actually make phone calls so that was what was like emergency phone calls yeah exactly <laughs> or even just you know exactly so that they can stay, stay connected because they kept on losing signal mm -hmm. um, but then of course the pandemic hit and they realized it's not just you know their cell phone it's the internet too and it all played into uh, impacting you know the rates of um folks who were going missing or who maybe were lost or whoever it might be and so that key part of safety is like um what brought them into broadband which i thought was you know a really cool perspective in terms of how we approach it from different areas right mm -hmm. um but then of course other things are happening in terms of like um folks from the elder centers are probably the low-hanging fruit in a lot of tribal communities because not only are they wanting to stay connected within like through their devices and through different community members and things like that but also elders are usually in a in a leadership position because they can um impact the way decisions are made at the tribal council level um and how it's affecting their community so what do they need they need connectivity and of course they're getting those skills at their elder center but also asking you know why are we staying connected to folks on the reservation and those who live off the reservation because of course i think like 75 70 percent of of tribal members live off res you know in major cities and things like that so they have connectivity but are they connecting back to tribal lands um so those are probably like the two key things that i've kind of heard recently where i'm kind of not necessarily surprised but just like I, I see them having more of a voice in terms of like, why are we doing this work, right? Why do we need connectivity and why is broadband important? I want to erase what I said earlier okay. or maybe add on to it. Now that I've thought about it more of like, where are these people coming from that, mm -hmm. that are coming into digital inclusion work? Um, yes to those who are um, from libraries. So librarians, we usually think about those um, folks, but also because uh, digital inclusion work, it's in every work. Um, you have people coming from universities, especially with extension offices. So 
Most of the time, from what I'm hearing, is that they came into this work because they were essentially doing providing a service and they didn't realize how important connectivity was, how important digital equity was, and that seeing that, seeing that their clients were suffering because they didn't have um, the, the digital inclusion aspect to getting those services is what gets them into digital equity work. So we see people in healthcare coming into digital equity work, um, universities, social services, like elder services, or even housing authorities. Child services. Child services, domestic violence services, um, and then libraries, like I said, and then also um, folks who have worked in local government as well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So I feel like um, there's a real optimism Right. I mean, I feel like people are enthusiastic. People worked hard. I mean, people like me that are grouchy, we can complain about like problems with the bills or the laws or the policies or the way they're enacted or whatever. But like, I feel like people are pretty enthusiastic. They feel like we have some good tools where you can out there and get out there and do some good work. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think um, especially with the new folks that stumble into NDIA and they kind of feel like they hit a jackpot, you know, a gold mine of like, wow, this is everything that I've been looking for. There's a community out here with other folks who are at the same position as me and other folks in my community that are doing this work for a lot longer that I can connect with. So there is a lot of optimism, but also a lot of confusion as well, because with everything is changing and there's so much money coming in. Um, technology is always ever changing. Um, and, and now finally coming into realizing like, we don't know our community as well as we do. And so there is this big optimism, but then it's also faced with like, okay, well now we have the money. We, uh, there's no more excuse. Like we have to get into mm -hmm. those communities. We have to learn what their needs are. We can't just speak for them and assume we know what their needs are. Um, as somebody who um, is an immigrant, is a, an Asian person, Southeast Asian, um, and, and also a Muslim hijabi woman, oftentimes, you know, policymakers and those who are sitting in the decision room don't come out to my communities and they're making those decisions that impact my community and I think that's kind of where people are coming at right now in the digital digital equity space of like okay great here we are where we've got the resources but oh no we haven't made the the that connection we haven't built that trust in those communities so how are they going to trust us and sometimes that's like the the biggest barrier or the biggest hurdle that you saying that I uh, we see this a little bit in Indian country I feel like where um, tribes are busy um, they have a lot of things going on and and some people are like I really want to like get involved and help out and they don't get their calls returned or something like that and I feel like then like they might suggest that that the people you know whether it's in a tribe or an urban area generally it's communities that have been historically marginalized they kind of put it on them like oh maybe they don't care that much about it when in fact it's like it's actually work to do outreach to like build trust right like it's it, it takes real work and and you have to like be strategic about it yeah it takes real work and um especially if you are not from that community um, you have to be okay with being uncomfortable and kind of owning up to the fact that hey like you know your organization hasn't done enough work but now you're trying and you're gonna have to kind of bite the bullet if people are gonna be hesitant because they have every right to be. Mm -hmm. And we're so grateful to have Davida because honestly, I like to tell people that it doesn't matter how great of an ally you are, nothing replaces that lived experience and nothing can bring that connection that somebody who looks like them and has that lived experience. And I, I could relate to that myself with the identities that I have. So 
we're super grateful to have Davida here. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to, you know, outreach to all of these tribes and have them, you know, be um, part of this grant if it wasn't for the awesome work that she has done. Thank you. <laughs> well, I would also say too that, you know, um, tribes are excited about this and um, states and other folks who are partnering with tribes are excited about this. Um, just keep in mind that, you know, tribes are uh, sovereign entities, you know, so they're not necessarily stakeholders or rights holders. So they have a right in terms of how their land is managed. And, and a part of that, of course, is the resources, which is one being broadband. But I also would would also say to these partners who are reaching out to tribes, I know there's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of push, there's a lot of um, motivation to go um, speak to tribes and things like that. I would say do your homework first, because it's not a tribal leader's job in terms of how to say, do you call yourself Native American, American Indian, Mm -hmm. (laughs) tribal nations, um, or even what not to say, you know, um, those different key terms or stereotypes, um, that you hear or um, in, in that capacity, I just feel like uh, a lot of folks who are in these leadership positions find themselves educating people on on what it is to partner with their tribe or what it means to just mean Native American in general and not specific to their tribe even, you know. Um, and so f- really figure out who who is in your region, what um, basic things about it. And there's a lot of different resources out there in terms of like local universities, tribal colleges, and things like that, who have those resources, have tribal libraries who you can read about. Um, I want to shout out the Native Nations Institute. They have a seminar, a three-hour seminar that you can um, call them out for because they, um, it's called the Native Know-How, how to partner with tribal nations. And that has existed for, you know, three years prior. And I think now states can take advantage of resources like that. It's already there. It's already built. It's ready to go. You can have it tomorrow, you know, um, before they start, you know, reaching out to tribes and having these awkward conversations. And maybe I'm not giving them enough credit because I know some folks in states have already created those partnerships. Yeah, we still see it. It's still, you know. Yeah, there's still a lot of people that engage in this like box checking where they they don't they have to do a consultation and they don't really do it. They don't take it seriously either. Um, I think we all hear those stories. Yeah, and I think um, I've heard some of that in the summit today. Like people are just following the dollars, you know, and of course that's where it is in tribes. Um, but to have meaningful, ongoing, sustainable, um, robust um, relationships with um, tribes, I think is very important for people to do their homework first and um, just do the basic groundwork. Um, and that's even go- going beyond that, you know, figuring out what the demographics of that community is, you know, what's the age range, education, computer usage even, you know, that that data is out there and available. Um, or what's connectivity like too. Um, it's not enough to be like, um, I have the best service or something like that actually going to these tribes and asking them, do you think we have the best service? And they'll tell you straight out, yes, no, maybe, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. With this, uh, with outreach, having that cultural competency, um, primarily the understanding of racial equity, and um, especially if you're not from that specific community, and you have to be aware that race does play into interactions and that it's okay to feel uncomfortable as long as you are willing to push through that uncomfortability so that you can see that end goal that that community is going to get that digital equity that um, they deserve. And so, for example, um, two really awesome organizations, Community Tech Network and SF Tech Council, um, they do digital literacy trainings 
and they specifically have digital uh, skills trainings that target uh, the population there, which are older Asian populations. So folks that are speaking Tagalog, um, Vietnamese, and uh, Mandarin, I believe, as well. And they did a great job of learning about that demographic and making sure that those trainings are culturally competent so that these elders can go and attend these classes, feel welcomed, and graduate into their program. And um, it, it's, I, I love using them as an example because um, they really took the time to connect with the community where folks felt comfortable to continue attending those classes. I'm sure there are a lot of organizations right now where they, they're kind of in a standstill of how, wh what do we do? We wanna help. Just being aware that it, it might be uncomfortable, but it's going to be worth it in the end. Um, and also, I'm always about you know investing in hiring a staff of color or a staff that reflects those lived experiences of those community members, but also with the caveat of we can't rely on them for every information about that community. Mm -hmm. That can't be it. That just like you said, like you can't be the checkbox where okay, we we hired the person and now we're going to burden them with all of these unnecessary questions like Davida was talking about of what's the right thing to say what's not you can google that um and make sure that you when you're interacting with that person that they're doing what is in their job description excellent so i think that's uh it's a it's a really good healthy update of what's happening in digital equity and what organizations and people should be thinking about as they're they're moving forward with this so thank you both. <laughs> thank you for having us. This was really great. Great to connect. I, I don't know. I just love your support for different things and um, spearheading like the Tribal Broadband Boot Camp. That's, that was like a huge resource for me when I first got started. So yeah, thank you. You're a fusion spicer now. Yeah, exactly. If people don't know out there, I'm a great fiber spicer. <laughs> thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives, if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>